Thank you, Rich, uh, for praying for us and welcoming everyone today. Well, how's everybody doing? Yeah? Are you on summertime yet? <laughs> wow. You guys are probably not awake, but that's okay. Um, hopefully, we'll be. But um, we're here back in, uh, back in Boundless, and you're probably all wondering, like, okay, what is he going to talk about? He's not really told us much of anything about what we're doing this summer. Uh, that's because I was still kind of figuring that out. But back in the spring semester, uh, I really started to think through what we could study together uh, over the summer on these mornings. And you know how these things go, right? What do I, what do I teach? The things I want to study, right? <laughs> you guys are nervous laughter. All right. Well, seriously, though, for some time now, I've wanted to, to think through uh, and address some of the common struggles that come up in our discipling relationships and in our lives. Um, in particular, I want to address some of the ones that we have not really talked about here before in Boundless. And uh, it's my goal to kind of think these things through with you guys, uh, work hard at them, write up some maybe resources for us that we can have in our discipling relationships in the fall. And uh, that's, that's the goal. And I want to focus in on things that are particularly confusing in our wider culture. And I know you're thinking, okay, now it's getting really interesting. So uh, now what's he going to talk about? And I'm just thinking about things like depression, uh, self-image, self-esteem, comparison. I'd like to get into all the gender stuff, but I don't think we'll have time to cover that this summer. uh, And that's a lot of reading on its own. Um, But definitely in the depression, self-image, self-esteem, comparison, just a number of these things that... um, that we face here in our ministry is we're shepherding people. And uh, I'm narrowing it down still. Uh, today, I, we're going to deal with the topic of depression. But uh, I really want to help you understand how the culture frames up some of these issues. So as you're either experiencing them in your own life or you've got somebody that you know is experiencing these things, uh, you can have a framework for really what the Bible says about how we change. Um, you can think of this series over the summer as like a Continuing to apply the framework uh, that we learned about, you know, last, I guess it was two semesters ago at this point, with the growth series and how we grow, you can think of that as kind of an application um, of, that, of that series to specific issues. So today we're not going to waste any time. I'm calling this series uh, Common Struggles. And today, over the next three weeks, really, we're going to talk about two to three weeks. I'm giving myself three. Hopefully I can get it done in two. And I can reverse the trend, Right? You guys are going to like, yeah, right, you're going to take the whole summer on this. Um, but I'd like to talk through uh, just a common and very, very difficult struggle that a lot of folks face, and that is the struggle of depression. Depression. So, if kind of jumping in here, according to a new survey, it was done in, I think, 2023, it's estimated that one in six adults in the United States either say they're depressed or they're receiving treatment for depression. Isn't that staggering? One in six adults either say they are depressed or are actively receiving treatments for depression. Another article I read estimates that about 15% of the population is on antidepressant medication. And apparently, depression is even more common for your demographic. The 30 and under crowd, so I just missed that. Um, the 30 and under crowd, seriously though, depression is, um, is on the rise there. For folks under 30, it jumps to one in four. 
So from one in six to one in four. And that is the highest for any other age group in that study, from children all the way through to, to senior saints. And it's not just kind of out there in the culture, is it? You know, it doesn't take long to, to realize it's right here in the church. Many of us have experienced what feels like the soul-crushing weight of despair at some point or another. Some of you are probably struggling even now. And I'm sure that almost all of you know someone, a friend or a family member, who would say that they are clinically depressed, right? Yes? No? Maybe? This is a dark and lonely and dangerous place to be. Now, as pervasive as it is, there still seems to be a lot of confusion about this topic in the church. I'm sure you have questions. Do you have questions about it? Yeah? Is depression a disorder? Is it a sin? Is it an illness? Is it some combination of some of those? If it's a sin, is it always a sin? Does it just happen to me, or is there, or is there some internal cause or external cause? How do I change my emotions? Does the Bible address depression? Should we use medication or steer clear from it? What's the best way to help somebody who says they're depressed? How can I enter into my friend if I'm not, if I'm not feeling depressed myself? Well, questions abound on this struggle. And that's we're just kind of scratching the surface here on this, this issue. And so we're going to try to unpack some of these, at least, over the next few weeks. And it's my goal to, to help equip you um, in this, this common struggle. So since there are a lot of questions, we're going to focus on uh, understanding depression today. There's a lot of questions, so let's approach this in a question and answer format like we normally do in these topics. And I think what's important is let's start with, with kind of understanding the term from a cultural perspective. So what is, quote-unquote, depression? Okay? When we talk about depression, what, what, or when folks talk about depression, what are they talking about? Well, when most people, if I can kind of synthesize the data here for you, and I'll, we'll come back to this here at the end. When most people talk about depression today, they seem to be referring to a sort of emotional state, like a persistent emotional state and... Oh, man... We've got, like, Star Wars theme going on up there. It's like comedic relief in this dark topic. Um, yes, so, back, back, to the, back to the core kind of synthesis of this, all right? I think it's like a persistent emotional state, and it ranges from what you might say sadness all the way to sort of the depths of despair sort of in, in suicide. Okay. So it's, a, it's an emotional state that ranges from sadness to, to despair. And many will distinguish what we might call normal sadness over life circumstances with what's called clinical depression. You've probably heard that term, clinical depression. And this clinical depression is sort of the, the, the overarching category. For a lot, I think there's like, Ten subcategories, if you're talking about kind of the, the discipline of psychology, I think there's today, there's ten subcategories. And they're, they're all under the umbrella of depressive disorders. 
And what tips the scales from a normal sadness to a clinical depression is, I think, its severity. So it needs to negatively impact your day-to-day functioning. So it's got to be fairly severe. And second, it's got to persist. So it must last for at least two weeks uh, or more, according to the clinical definition. So I'll give you some of those. I'll, I think I have some up here, yeah. But you probably can't see it because it's a weird blue color. That's not me because you know my PowerPoints are black and white. Um, I think it must, must be something bad with the, with the projector. All right, so here's, here's one definition of it from the, the DSM-5, which is the, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So this is the... I hate to call it this, but it's sort of the Bible of, of the psychological discipline. Um, but it's, it's a descriptive tool, and it can be very helpful. Uh, and here's, here's what it says. It says, the common feature of depressive disorders is the presence of sad, empty, or irritable mood accompanied by related changes that significantly affect the individual's capacity to function. So there it is, just this, this, this mood that's sad or irritable, and it's, it's accompanied by changes that affect this, the individual's capacity to function in like a day-to-day um, capacity. Now, if you go on, it'll talk about how it needs to be there for two weeks. Um, here's another one. Let's see, what do, what do we have here? Depression is a persistent mood that is characterized by intense feelings of inadequacy, sadness, hopelessness, pessimism, irritability, apprehension, and a decreased interest in or ability to enjoy normal activity. This mood must last at least two weeks to be diagnosed as clinical depression. Now, that's from a Christian resource, but he's analyzing the the psychological background of this quote-unquote disorder. So that's how the culture frames up this this very pervasive problem, this destructive problem. Um, They're observing things that 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 are real and true about the human condition. What about scripture? Okay? If you search for depression, if you went in and did a little word search, you would not find anything in scripture with that, that term. But just because it doesn't have the term used by the culture today, um, it is full of the concept and it describes this, this sadness in uh, different language. So that, that leads us to our second question. How does the Bible talk about this issue? Well, in Scripture, it doesn't frame up what we might call depression as a, as a disorder or an illness. But it is a common and profoundly painful emotional state. Okay? It's not a disorder or an illness, but it's a, it's a common and profoundly painful emotional state. Now, again, don't feel like, side note, don't feel like you have to take notes on all this stuff because I'm going to blitz through a bunch of texts. I'm gonna ha- I have this in written form. And I definitely, once I finish this topic, I'll, I'll bring this together in a nice, neat format for you if you want it um, later. So just get a feel for this here. here. Listen to the language that Scripture uses. It talks in terms of a crushed spirit that feels almost unbearable, Proverbs eighteen fourteen. And then that crushed spirit comes from a heart that's full of sorrow, full of sadness, Proverbs fifteen thirteen. If you were to jump over to Psalm 42 and 43, these these psalms go together, 
and, and they describe a man who by today's definition would likely be diagnosed as clinically depressed. Okay, listen to this. He weeps constantly. He seems to have no appetite. He describes his soul as cast down and in turmoil. That's how the ESV translates that. Or in despair and disturbed. New American Standard. He feels forgotten and rejected by God. He goes about mourning because of oppression of his enemy. So that's Psalms 42 and 43. And when it comes to the, the, the chief psalmist of them all, King David, he knew this pain very well. Psalm 69, he writes, Reproaches have, listen to this language, shattered my heart. The heart is the, 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 inward, the, the, the core of who a person is. He says, Reproaches have shattered my heart so that I am in despair. Now, even God's prophets experienced this. Jonah was so angry and despondent that he asked the Lord to kill him, not once, but twice. Elijah also wanted to end his life, 1 Kings 19. Jeremiah questioned his existence. He said, why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? If we were to flip to the New Testament, we would see the Apostle Paul himself describes facing sorrow upon sorrow if his co-worker died. We saw that back in Philippians chapter 2. He says his experience, he experienced great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart when he thinks about his Jewish countrymen who had rejected the gospel in Romans 9. He was also once so crushed by his circumstances that he said he despaired of life itself, 2 Corinthians 1.8. So even Jesus himself experienced crushing sorrow. He experienced it in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was so disturbing, it felt like death to him. Listen to this language. He said, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. He was indeed a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53, 3. So, there's so many more we could look at. That's just a smattering across both Testaments. So, we we might say that modern psychology maybe coined the label of clinical depression, but not the experience. They're merely describing and labeling the crushing emotional pain that humans have experienced since the fall in Genesis 3. That's all this is doing. So for our purposes today and next week, when I talk about depression, I'm talking about um, a persistent emotional state that ranges from sadness all the way to despair and sometimes, sadly, um, suicidal thoughts. Now, if, if that's what it is, and it's a clearly, clearly a common struggle in Scripture, we need to ask if this emotional state is always sinful. Okay? Is it always sinful? Well, it's super important, you know, if we're talking about this as an emotional state, which I, that's what, how the Bible would frame this up, it's important that we observe that emotions are not bad in themselves. Right? In fact, our emotions reflect the image of God. 
There is a sense in which God does feel things, right? Raises some other questions in our mind, theologically, but you can't deny it. Scripture describes God as feeling compassion. Praise the Lord, right? And indignation, and even sorrow and grief. Think about Genesis 6, Isaiah 63, Ephesians 4. And so since we're made in His image... We too feel things, and feel things deeply, right? So in a world full of sin and death, we could say it is normal to feel grief. It's normal to feel sorrow over certain things. We could even say it's good, and it's commanded that we feel sorrow over certain things. So what are some examples that the Bible gives us of things we should, it's normal and, and, and ought to feel sorrow in? Well, one would be just human suffering. Again and again, the Bible expresses how it is appropriate to respond to suffering with sorrow, with sadness. Things are not as they should be on this earth, not as they will be when Christ returns. Romans 8 says the entire creation groans under the weight of the curse. And then Paul says we groan too. We groan under the weight of the curse. We groan as we wait for our redemption as God's sons. We have an entire category of psalms that are given to teach God's people how to express this grief in faith. The psalms of lament. Jesus himself wept bitterly over the coming sufferings of Jerusalem. And this was a a very appropriate emotion in Luke 19.41. I think I have that one listed for you on the screen. So, suffering is definitely a category that is normal and expected for us to feel sadness around. We we could also say that grief over loss, this is closely related. It's normal to feel a certain crushing emotional sadness when you face a loss of some kind. The death of a loved one or a sudden loss of employment. And you think about Christ as well. He's our example in all things. Jesus himself wept when his friend Lazarus had died. When he saw the grief of his friends. John 11. Paul says if his co-worker would have died, remember Epaphroditus, if he would have died on his watch, he said he would have experienced what? Sorrow upon sorrow. And that's, a, that's a way of saying crushing sorrow. So it's normal and appropriate to to feel grief over loss. It's also normal to feel sad or despondent when you experience significant changes to your body. Okay, I don't have a text on this one, but this is just normal, like in terms of human life. The Bible doesn't spell out absolutely everything. It gives us eyes and observational skills to see that, okay, yeah, there's certain things that, that make me feel sad when my body is changing. Our bodies and souls are intimately tied together. We're not like, we're not just sort of everything in the, you know, unrelated in terms of matter. Like we're, we're intimately tied together with our souls. And so we shouldn't be surprised when one, our body affects the other, our soul, and when our soul affects our bodies. So some of those significant changes might include things like going through a major surgery. You come out on the, on the back end of a major surgery, and it is very common to feel very sad. Because your body was just, was just cut up. 
It's very normal to feel sad when there's hormonal imbalances, especially in things with, with women in particular, after they give birth to a child. If you've ever gone any time without sleep, you know how that, you know how that affects you. Um, you might sign up for, for Depression 101, you know, if you've, if you've gone a couple days, pulled a couple of all-nighters. We're designed to sleep. Our bodies are designed to, to go to sleep. If you've had an injury, you've had a prolonged illness, you suffer with chronic pain, you've likely experienced these sort of depressive, quote-unquote, symptoms. Probably the, the most significant on these are just the side effects of prescription medications. Any, you know, lots of times, um, let's see, I think I've got a few of them listed here. Blood pressure and heart medication, antibacterial drugs, uh, psychiatric drugs, those are common culprits that actually produce these depressive feelings. So you might be taking a, a blood pressure medication and feel, feel depressed. So my point there is just it's normal in these changes of your body, these, these, these kinds of things, to feel, feel this depression. So not only is it normal to feel sad over certain things, but do you realize we're actually commanded to feel sad? We're commanded to feel sad. James says we should weep over our sinful condition. James 4 says, I'll just read it to you, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This, here it is, verse 9. Be wretched, that's a command, and mourn, that's a command, and weep, that's a command. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's talking about being broken over our sin and our sinful condition. And when our hypocrisy is exposed, he says, humble yourself, verse 10, before the Lord and he will exalt you. So James is commanding us to actually feel feel sad. And finally, we should also feel sad at the sorrows of others right here in the church. Paul tells us not only to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also to what? To weep with those who weep. Think about that. He's commanding an emotional response from you. It is right and noble to enter into someone's suffering, to sit with them, and even be moved yourself to tears over their pain. That's right and good. And the point I'm trying to make in this is that feeling sad or discouraged or even deeply sorrowful, that is not always sinful. In fact, it's the opposite. It's, it's, it's actually, we're actually commanded to, do, to feel these things and feel these ways. It's normal in certain circumstances. And these emotions shouldn't, lots of times, you know, we avoid these emotions at all costs, don't we? Kind of in our culture, it's like, this is bad to feel sad. Uh, that's kind of how we think. My life should be perpetually happy, that I need to pursue my happiness always and distract myself from painful emotions. But as we've seen, it is right and sad to be sad about things that are sad. It is normal to experience grief, and, even, and it's even commanded that we do so at times. So keep this in mind. It is only in the new creation when every tear will be finally and forever wiped away. It's only there. Not here. So that raises another question. If it's normal and even right to feel sad over certain things, then when does it actually become sinful? Or when is it actually sinful? At what point does it move from a normal response to one that is destructive 
and wrong that we need to repent of? Well, if you think about that question, you could probably answer it in a number of ways, right? You could say that it's bad when you're sad about things that aren't actually sad, right? In reality, and that would be, a, that would be one way. Or you, you could say that when your sadness has gone on for way too long, beyond what's quote-unquote normal, however you define that, and it's impacting your day-to-day functioning, those may be, those may be indicators that you've crossed the line. But I think there's something at the heart of when it's sinful. And I think it's this. It becomes sinful when your grief is untethered from faith. Okay, When your grief, when your sorrow, when your discouragement is untethered from faith. Meaning, when when it all boils down, when the dust settles out of the calamity, you're not trusting God in that sad circumstance. I'm not saying it's not a fight to trust God. I'm saying that when, it, when the dust settles, you're ultimately not trusting God. When you've stopped grieving with hope, like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, when there's no rejoicing underneath your sorrow, like Paul implies when he says, he's sorrowful yet always rejoicing. 2 Corinthians 6.10. The common core of this is that when, when your grief, when your sorrow, when these emotional, emotional state of sadness is divorced from faith. So, if we were to flesh this out a little bit more, and we're going to flesh this out next week, big time, but we could say that it becomes sinful, or it is sinful, when we begin to believe lies during the sad circumstances. Does that make sense? So, sad circumstance happens. The normal response is sorrow, grief. But when that circumstance becomes a temptation to distrust the Lord and we fall prey to it, that's when the depression becomes sinful. So to help make this clear, let's just take a few examples that we talked about earlier. When it would be normal to feel sad about certain things. All right? Let's talk about suffering. The person who experiences chronic pain can and should experience sorrow over the fact that their body does not work as God has intended it to work. It is an incredibly difficult circumstance. But that circumstance can and often is a temptation. Subtly the thoughts creep in. Does God really love me? If he does, why does he let this go on day after day? He could just take this away, but he does not. Maybe he's punishing me for something. Who knows? Those thoughts, as true as they might feel in the moment, are actually lies, according to Scripture. And if you let those thoughts go on, pretty soon you're going to be in full-blown despair. Your hope will evaporate and so, so that circumstance has become now an occasion for you to engage those thoughts with truth. And you're going to need a lot of help from other people in the body, especially if this is sort of a habituated way of thinking. You're going to need somebody to come alongside you and help you with that, but we're going to talk about all that next, next week. So let's take another example. Let's talk about our sin. Okay, even in our sin, which we should appropriately mourn, says James, This can be an occasion for unbelief, right? 
is tempting to respond to our sin without faith, isn't it? We see our sin, we're grieved by it, and then it can become an occasion to to continue to disbelieve the Lord, not trust His promises. We start thinking things like, you know, we hear that the accusation, well, you did that again? Like, how can you even call yourself a Christian? What are you going to do to show God that you really mean it this time? He's not just going to forgive you. You've got to prove it. And as I was reading this week, I found that women who've had abortions really struggle in this area. Or any, any, really anybody that's committed, quote unquote, a, a big sin. They often feel crushing despair over what they've done. And they think that if they stop feeling depressed, they're somehow like minimizing what they've done. Like the depression is somehow part of their punishment. But we have to remember that we do not atone for our sin. Ever. Our mourning, our grief, that is not what atones for sin. It's Christ who has already made atonement for my sin. My broken and humble confession is simply my acknowledgement that I need Him yet again. That I'm guilty and I have no hope without Him being merciful to me. And again, that's the mind renewal that we're going to talk about more next week. But my point here is that even after we sin, we can fall into patterns of unbelief. And our grief over our sin can quickly turn into despair. Or some form of self-atonement that's divorced from God's precious promises to us in Christ. So, sometimes the sad circumstances can, can themselves lead to a sinful type of depression when we stop believing in God in those circumstances and His promises. But then there's another time that depression is sinful or another indicator, and that's when this depression is fueled by unconfessed sin. When depression is fueled by unconfessed sin. Oftentimes when we're living in sin and trying to hide it, or we're blaming it on something or somebody else, and we're living in sort of this victimhood mentality, we're going to feel terribly depressed. And praise God that we feel that way. Um, because that's what the Lord intends to drive us to repentance. And if we persist in our hiding of our sin, there may even be physiological problems as a result of the compounding guilt in our lives. You've probably felt that. We've all been there. Psalm 32 is incredibly helpful here. It's a psalm about the joy of the free forgiveness that we receive when we own our sin before the Lord. But it starts with David remembering the time when he hid his sin. And listen to how he describes it. For when I kept silent, meaning about his sin, he wasn't confessing it. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. So he's groaning all day. Sounds like depression. And his bones were wasting away. For night and day, your hand, that's God's hand, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So he didn't have any strength. Didn't have any motivation. What's happening to David? He's experiencing physical symptoms from his depression, quote-unquote, and it's fueled by his unconfessed sin. Right? If David would have continued feeling self-pity or despondent about his life, that would have been a sinful emotional response. Make sense? 
his vexation was from the Lord to drive him to take responsibility in confession and repentance. So that's a, a second instance when the depression that we feel would be sinful if it's flowing from unconfessed sin. And finally, you can know that depression that you feel is sinful when it breeds more sinning. When it breeds more sinning. So what do you mean by that? Well, you feel tired and you're unmotivated because you're depressed over a bad grade that you got on your exam. Right? You studied all week, went in there, took the exam, failed it, whatever. And you're like, what is the use? And then just the sadness sinks in, the despondency, self-pity, and it just it feels crushing to you. So, your alarm goes off next day. It's time to kind of get up, get after your day, do what you need to do, study. But you choose not to because you don't want to face those emotions. So, side effect, quote-unquote, symptom of depression is sleeping too much, right? So that you just keep sleeping. You sleep most of the day. But you should be studying, right? What does that do? The oversleeping from your quote-unquote depression, that leads to less study. What does that do? Leads to more bad grades on the exams. And so, and then what does the bad grades on the exams do? Makes you feel what? More depressed, right? So it's this sort of cyclical downward spiral. And it's a vicious one, okay? It's vicious in that, that direction. So here's the glorious news, though. There is a path out, okay, from that spiral that we've all felt. There's a way forward for God's people, and it's a way out of depression and into a life that's productive and fruitful for His glory. To feel sadness as it's appropriate, can feel that crushing grief, and yet still say with Paul, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. It doesn't mean that our life's going to be sorrow-free, but there is a way that we can grieve with hope. There's a way to be profoundly sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. There's a way to be crushed and yet continue to entrust yourself to God's good purposes in it. And that is the path that Christ wants to take us down as he leads us toward that day in the new creation, when he wipes all of our tears away. And so, now that we've begun to kind of unpack the struggle and understand it, next time we're going to look at how to engage it. Okay? How to engage it. We're going to consider how to fight it, and also how to help others who struggle in this same, same fight. Now, I know I didn't talk much about medication, so I'm going to save all that for next week. Uh, we'll talk about that and look carefully at that issue. Um, but for now, if you feel trapped in a spiral of depression, if, that's, if, if somebody in here is that, don't struggle alone. Please come and talk to one of us because we're going to see next week that we battle these things together right here in the church. So let us help you. Uh, we're all in this together, struggling to follow Christ. Amen? What time do we have here? We've got like three minutes. Um, from this discussion, did, is there any kind of burning questions that we're untouched. We, we'll probably address some of them next week, but if there's any right now, we can go ahead and, and field that. Can you see the screen? No. We'll try to get that fixed before next week. Yeah?
uh, Hayden asks, if you're counseling someone who's not a Christian, uh, is there only hope, kind of gospel hope, and that's kind of all, basically, your implications, that's all you talk about with them. Is that right? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, ultimately, um, ultimately, yes. I mean, that is their only ultimate deliverance from kind of quote-unquote depression into a life of fruitfulness, but that doesn't mean that that's all you talk about. So if someone's hardened, I think general Christian compassion, I think Mike and I were talking about this this past week, I think general Christian compassion, if somebody's kind of hardened to the gospel and we're telling them, hey, this is the solution, we want to help you and we're going to be walk alongside you and do whatever we need to do, if they're hardening themselves, I think our compassion still feels for them. And so, um, you know, I wouldn't be, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not prescribing meds or anything like that, but like if, if that's going to relieve some of their suffering, uh, if there's a medication that works for them, I would just want to be clear that, hey, this isn't dealing with the ultimate problem. Um, and just make sure they're aware of the side effects and, and the potentials of, of what could happen to something with something like that. But I think, yeah, just there's all kinds of things that, that the medical profession does, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, in terms of therapies they recommend, but that's typically a lot of work uh, for people to do that. It's very similar to Paul's model for change. Uh, in Ephesians, but um, so they'll recommend, health professionals will recommend actually that first, the, the therapy, and then secondarily medication. So I think, you know, along those lines, we would want to help, I think generally help people relieve their suffering um, as best we can, but at the same time, understand that they're never going to be fully delivered from that until they own whatever it is, you know, kind of at the heart level in their rebellion against God. So, um, does that help? Yeah. I mean, there's probably a lot of nuance we could say about that, but um, anybody else want to chime in on that? Any of the medical professionals? I basically stole that answer from you, Mike, so. Oh, totally, 100%. Like, I'll, if, if they're resistant, you know, to you, then it's like you're not just going to beat down the door all the time, but I am going to, I'm not going to just take no for an answer periodically. I'm going to check back in. You know, they're going to be downloading on me just how hard their life is and how bad it is and how much of a victim they are and whatever it is. You know, then it's like, hey, brother, sister, like, can we revisit this? You know, and I plead with them, like, look at, look at my life. Like, do I get sad? Yeah, but, like, I'm not crushed. You know, just can we try, like, what you're trying is not working. Like, can just, I mean, just come back to them, appeal. Because, like, people who suffer over long periods of time, I mean, maybe the Lord's softening them in that. You don't know what he's doing. But I don't just take no for an answer always, as though, like, okay, they told me they don't want to ever talk about this again. I'm not just going to beat down the door, but I, I, may, I may check back in, especially if it's a long-term relationship, and say, hey, I know you told me that you're not interested in this, but your options aren't working. You know, it's been a year, and you're worse off than when we talked about in the previous time. Um, so I think stuff like that can be really helpful just as you maintain a posture of love toward them and, and openness in the truth. You maintain the relationship as long as you can because uh, they may cut it off if they don't want to hear it. Um, but lots of times, if they're family or, or close friends or whatever, they may keep the relationship going. Um, so there's good opportunities. Yeah, great question, though.
Yeah, any more? All right. Whoa, Jake. Oh, certainly, yeah. There, I mean, you're not, you're not going to have transformation, true transformation, apart from Christ. Yeah. Your life might get better. You might find strategies to cope. Uh, but as far as true transformation, you're not going to have that in terms of the way humans were intended to function. Um, yep. Good question. All right, we'll wrap it up here. And uh, if there's anything else that you didn't want to ask out loud uh, in public, feel free just to... Come up and, and chat, chat with one of us. We'll do part two next week. All right? You are dismissed.